Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Kevin Seafried is because Kevin was part of our February 29th, 2020 live show marathon. It was a 12-hour show. It was a, unfortunately our last show of 2020 due to the global pandemic. And so I'm catching up with everyone over the course of March. I had a lot of fun in this conversation. You'll be able to hear that uh, clearly. If you like baseball, you will like this episode. It's maybe the longest baseball conversation I've had on this show since Kevin's been on this show last February. So unfortunately, we now have a Patreon account. Please consider donating at youmeetthemeverybody.com. It's in this podcast description. It's also on our About page. So uh, it should be very easy to click through and uh, just donate whatever you can. We'd really appreciate it. Here's the show. Before we really begin, is there anything you don't want to talk about? Um, Not really. I don't think so. Okay, let's see if you regret that. Um, <laughs> you were the first person that was brought up. I'm catching up with everyone that was on the February 29th marathon. And you were the first person that was brought up by someone else as someone that might actually be thriving when it comes to Zoom shows. Oh, well, that's nice. Who said that? Elizabeth Norman out of Baltimore said that you have an energy that is actually more like a real room energy versus a um, a new type of Zoom room energy. And that it's very... Uh, out of the ordinary and welcoming. Oh, well, that's very kind of her to say. Yeah, I mean, I it's interesting. I haven't done nearly as many Zoom shows as a lot of other comics just because um, I'm, you know, lazy. But uh, I have hold had on, Hold on, before you, <laughs> before you continue, is that a symptom of laziness or is where's the benefit of doing the Zoom show? I think I, it's, it's less laziness. That's more just self-deprecation. I think the, it is the lack of benefit to an extent, like, you get a real buzz off of doing an actual show mm -hmm. and it's, it's like switching from, you know, uh, Coke to diet Coke or something. It's just like, well, it's not as good. So why am I, you know, <laughs> wasting the energy on it? Yeah. But I have done some that were really fun. It really depends on how the, um, the producer runs the show. Some places have done a great job. Um, I think underground comedy and the DC improv are, are both doing a really good job of figuring out how to, how to make the format work for them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the ones I've done, I've had fun with, you know, and I think it is that element of being able to be like, you know, larger than the screen and not too scripted and um, a little bit uh, stream of consciousness. Um, so, yeah, that's very nice of Elizabeth to say. Um, I, I don't know how to take a compliment. So <laughs> do you think you're able to adapt better because you like sports so much? That's I don't think so, but that's interesting. How did you arrive there? I love sports. You love sports, but I equally love music and art and pro wrestling and, and politics, blah, 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 right? I'm, I'm a true generalist, right? Mm -hmm. And I know so many comics that just care about stand-up or one thing, and they hate sports and they say sports ball, even though it's more yes. popular than pretty much everything combined, right? Yeah. And if you're into sports, you can't live in the past because you could be the greatest player and then not play because you torn a meniscus or something. And then the next year, you're just out of the league. And right. you know that the entire time. Baseball is the perfect example of that. And you can't just rest on your laurels. It's not possible. Therefore, if you don't care about sports and you don't know that necessarily, you might be doing the exact same jokes a year into a pandemic and not realizing they're, they're not working. Yeah, I think... Um... I think you're you're spot on there. I mean, I hadn't drawn that specific correlation, but it makes sense. I mean, I'm definitely somebody who thinks that 
you know, you leave it all on the field um, each time as best you can uh, and that you kind of have to adapt to the situation and, you know, not bring the last game on to the next, uh, into the next one. Um, but yeah, there is that idea that, you know, you don't want to just let it all go. Uh, I worked pretty hard for a long time to get to um, where I was in stand up. Not that it was anywhere particularly impressive, um, but I would be terrified to see it all just kind of vanish, which is what it's felt like in the last year. I was just saying to my girlfriend, I've done less comedy in the last calendar year than I did on a given night uh, at any point the year before. Sure, sure. But what are you actually holding on to? Um, what do you mean by that? Like the. I think this is this is a real question of sense of self versus mm-hmm. a, a sense of an arbitrary thing that you built. Right. I think it is. Um, part of it's probably like, you know, holding on to this dream of being able to have this be a big part of your life and having it be an income stream and having it be something that can take you to different places. Um, you know, stand up has been the main reason I've ever been able to travel or had incentive to go to different places. It's the reason I've met great people and it's my favorite community of people. It's, you know, folks who you can talk about anything with. And if you disagree with them, it's okay. Cause you can just joke around and still, you know, continue to have that conversation. Um, and so I think that the idea of losing stand up means losing that community and losing this um, platform to say what you need to say to get your thoughts out. Like, um, I don't know if you saw uh, a few weeks ago when the Confederate flag guy got uh, recognized as he had my exact same name. Yeah, that's what I, that's kind of why I led with, is there anything you don't want to talk about? Right. But so when that happened, I felt like I had to get that out though. I had to talk about it. And the fact that I didn't have stand up immediately accessible was incredibly frustrating right? Like when I have a thought or something that I feel a need to like defend or I'm embarrassed about or anything like that, stand-up allows me to get some affirmation from the world that it's okay, that I'm, you know, heard or what have you, um, not to get too uh, artsy-fartsy about it. Um, but to not have that definitely, you know, feels like it it takes a toll on you. And I think that's really why I want stand-up to come back, is it allows me to, you know, feel like whatever I'm thinking or whatever I'm feeling in the world, I can, you know, make sure it's okay with other people. Okay. You have 861 followers on Twitter at most. The DC improv could fit what 250 in the main room. Uh, yeah, probably. Right. So unless you happen to be up at the improv that night and everyone saw the news and you bring that up, you're still going to reach almost four times as many people just on Twitter saying something like 10 times. Uh, yeah. So just with that pure numbers, uh, your your bullhorn is actually more powerful on the internet than it could be in most any room. I think that's true to an extent, but it's also, a, a you know, on Twitter, you're one of many, many people in a person's feed, as opposed to when you're doing stand-up, you are the center of everyone's attention. There's no scrolling past what you're saying. People are kind of forced to listen to you for however many minutes until you're finished, right? It's the same thing that's great about a podcast, is you get to kind of connect more personally with someone for a longer um you know, a longer amount of time. Uh, and so I think that's why I enjoy that bullhorn of stand up more. It's the same as, you know, how it's different to have a phone call versus an email with tone and everything like that. I think that um, I'm best able to connect with people when there is that human element. Um, you know, going back to the Zoom show thing, I think it's a bit about energy more so than just words. Um, and so plus, it's just more fun to make people laugh and know that it worked. 
Are you glad you spent the pandemic year in Washington, D.C.? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I actually moved around a little bit. I went and visited my parents um, for a little while. But in general, I'm glad that I've been able to be here. And, um, you know, I haven't really gone out and done much. Um, I've just kind of been holed up with my girlfriend. And it doesn't really matter where we are as long as we have access to groceries. I don't feel like what was happening outside of our four walls was um, had too big an influence on anything that we were doing. Um, where are you right now? I'm in DC. No, no. Where? What neighborhood? Oh, uh, I live right near Union Station by the H Street corridor. Oh, that sounds horrible right now. <laughs> it's actually really nice. I live. I don't know about you, but I love the sound of a train track, and I get to hear Amtrak uh, go by. Uh, and uh, you know, the you know little... I also just heard the sirens. And for those that aren't that familiar, you're not that far from the Capitol. Oh, I'm not far at all. Um, yeah, no, we <laughs> had a, we were pretty close. But we didn't see people in mobs. We kind of saw people leaving in smaller groups, you know? Um, so we would see like a group of three people going past our window or what have you and, you know, shirts that said what kind of people they hated. And um, uh, Which is you. They hate you. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that it was, it felt important to be here and be able to hear like, I would hear a siren outside my window and we were watching CNN and then the siren would fade out and then I'd hear it fade in on the news. Yeah. <laughs> like because they were going down there. Um, and so I think it was important to be here during that. It definitely made it a lot more real. I think a lot of times with the news or politics or anything, it can feel very separate from your life. Um, but when that happened and it, you know, literally I was seeing, you know, vehicles go by my house and then go towards um, the capital, it definitely felt like it made it a lot more real and, and helped me understand just how big a deal it was. Well, I, I only asked that because I literally heard the siren. So I wanted to know what neighborhood okay. you're in. I'm also in DC. And today we are recording this on March 4th, which is apparently a relatively important day in the QAnon uh, folklore. Right. I heard about that. I was curious if, um, if anything was going to happen today. I'm really hoping not. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm wondering <laughs> if you were, if you um, if you had any plans for the day, or did you alter any plans for the day because of that? No, I mean I haven't really had plans during this pandemic at all. I think I've gone outside to you know eat outside maybe six times <laughs> over the last year, um, but we've been pretty safe and at home. Um, so no, I didn't have any plans to uh, take a walk <laughs> on the mall or anything today. Uh, Would you change your mind? Do you think it's worth because you are, you do share a name with someone that is famous for horrible reasons? Today might be your day to go out and just take a stroll. It might be, you know, and I think I'm going to actually wear my ID as like a name badge, uh, <laughs> just so people know, because I feel like otherwise they might not catch on right away. Um, I'll get a personalized Nats jersey with my last name on it. Are you a happy person? I mean, that's a great question. I. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, you know, I think we all fluctuate. Um, I have bipolar disorder, so I'm real happy, uh, about half the time. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think just like everybody else, I get my lows. Um, but by and large, I'm pretty lucky. I know a lot of great people. I have a, a wonderful, uh, girlfriend who I live with. I've gotten to do stand up for a long time. Things are pretty good, um, in terms of how I see the world. So, yeah, I'd say I'm happy overall. When did you find out or when were you diagnosed as bipolar? Um, I think it was the 
winter um, of 2014, 2015. So how old were you at that point? 22, 21. So when you found that out, did things like make more sense? Were you upset that you weren't diagnosed? Did you agree with the diagnosis? How did you feel? Oh, I felt like I finally, I had a great excuse now for my behavior. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I I think it was definitely, it it was good to kind of understand what was going on and that it wasn't like, you know, every time that I, my mood fluctuated, it was my fault or whatever. Um, But it also is this interesting thing and I have a bit about it, but there's this thing when you get diagnosed with a mental illness where you really have to kind of cope with this concept of, okay, what is on me and what is a chemical imbalance and how much can I manage the other thing, you know? Because it's very easy to kind of go into this woe is me state and blame everything on that. But you still have a lot of autonomy over your actions and um, the things you do and the way you treat people. And I think for me, there was a pretty um, important piece of kind of, you know, coming to terms with bipolar disorder and recognizing, okay, I got to figure out what I can handle because a lot of stuff I can't. And, um, you know, you want your, your baseline to be a little bit better, uh, so that the lows aren't, uh, too low. You said autonomy over actions. And I, and I'm wondering how the pandemic has altered the bipolar aspect of everything because, for a lot of people, I clearly, not I clearly, I do believe that we have autonomy over every single thing we do, even when we're suggested to wear a mask and to stay inside whenever possible. That doesn't mean that other people, specifically those that storm the Capitol, don't believe that. So sure. do you think that this pandemic, you were in a weird way, maybe more prepared because you were thinking about autonomy over actions for the last seven years where others maybe didn't? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess to an extent, um, I think to me, it really comes down to like thinking about how your actions impact other people. And with this pandemic, the main thing was, you know, you could kill someone by breathing near them. Yeah, and so yeah. it made it a pretty easy choice for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I had any advantage in terms of dealing with it. I think if anything, as someone who was used to having stand up as kind of my main crutch for social stability, um, I think I was less equipped. Uh, I'm not great at being on my own, or at least I hadn't been in the past. Um, I'm kind of amazed at how not horribly the last year has gone, to be honest. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't been fantastic. I'm still looking sure. for work and, uh, you know, losing standup was a pretty big deal. Um, but I'm not in a psych ward and I uh, didn't get COVID and, my family's healthy and my nephew was just born. And so things are good generally. So you miss stand up, obviously. Mm-hmm. You are also, I am not here to judge your behavior, but it seems that you're taking this seriously and you're not doing things that are risky behaviors. Now, there are there is a stand up community going right now that is definitely using, doing risky things because they also miss that community. Right. Do you find yourself questioning, maybe I should engage in some of these more risky behaviors just because I miss it that much? Uh, To an extent, I'm definitely like jealous of the people who are doing things. And I don't think it's my spot to judge however anyone's doing anything because I don't really understand anything about COVID. I just kind of have gone overboard in terms of any precautions so that I, you know, don't mess up. But um, I have at times been like, you know what? Screw it. I'd love to go out and just do a show and be around people. 
Um, and I have done two outdoor shows and just being, you know, even involved in that felt good just to be around that sure. vibe that creates a show. Um, but I generally, I, I just don't quite feel like it would be worth it all the way. Like, I don't think I could stand the idea of if I pick something up uh, or brought it there if for some reason, you know, I got it at the grocery store and took it there. Um, so I just haven't been able to quite bring myself to uh, really engage with that element. I stand up's going to be here forever. Eventually, you know, uh, I'm not too worried that uh, waiting a few more months is going to mean that I can't do it ever again. I don't think that the stand-up community will shun me for not going out during uh, the pandemic. Do you miss more performing or the interactions with the fellow performers before and after the show? That's a great question. Um, probably the latter. Uh, you know, I don't do a whole lot of reaching out to people individually because I, I just, I love a good crowd, love being around a bunch of people. Um, and I love being able to riff with comics. Uh, I enjoy doing standup itself. Like that's definitely, you know, my favorite thing in the world to do. But I think that feeling and community and sense of home that really existed around, um, you know, the main venues in DC is probably the thing that I miss the most, I would say, especially in the pandemic when you're not seeing anyone, you know? Yeah. Is there any positive aspect of the big hunt closing and underground comedy going somewhere else? Not that I see. Um, And I don't know all the full details or finality of anything with big hunt. Um, you know, but uh, I do know that Sean Joyce runs, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite organizations of the country and underground. And I fully expect them to find somewhere oh, that too. works me best too. for that, them. You know? That's what I'm asking. Cause like maybe in a weird way, this will be a good thing. Maybe a, ch- a literal change of scenery might be good. And maybe it doesn't have to be in a basement. Yeah. It's weird. I, I do love the dinginess of a basement. Like Big oh, Hunt I loved it. It perfect... was my favorite place to see a show in DC. Right. Like I'm not it... knocking that at all. Oh no, for sure. I, I mean, I think there was something really special about that place and a lot of the elements that made it what it was. Um, I think that whatever happens, if, if they do wind up having to go somewhere else, I think that Sean will do a good job and find somewhere and make it great. I have very few doubts about that, but I don't think that, I think it will be different, but not necessarily better or worse, if that makes sense. Okay. I think that, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. I miss the casual conversations with folks like you. And the last few weeks have just, I've definitely hit a COVID fatigue. I am right. definitely not alone. And it's probably like mid February was the worst uh, period of it all because clearly like the holidays are over and yeah. you're close enough to spring training, but you're definitely not there. <laughs> and. Now I feel crazy hopeful for the obvious uh, vaccination reasons, but also like, oh, we could spend more time outdoors. And this wonderful Atlantic piece that was released last week, it's very long read. It's like 30 minutes long. Um, Essentially saying like, yeah, we kind of screwed up the messaging here because like outdoors has always been safe if you do, if you take these precautions. And like, that's what I miss. I miss seeing more than one person that I don't either live with or is in like a circle of five to 10 folks. Does that make sense? Right. No, uh, I'm in the exact same thing. I, you know, as good as like a one-on-one conversation is, there's something so fun about having, you know, a group of people in each of their own perspectives and voices around you and getting to just kind of, you know, either talk in a group or, you know, go from group to group at a party. And um, there is something really fun about uh, that dynamic. Definitely. 
it makes me hopeful for all of the performing arts because I think everybody misses that party. And the easiest party that isn't an actual party is a concert, is a comedy show, is a is a is an event with people doing a thing on a stage, and you can interact with other people. So I do think we're in we're going to have a roaring twenties. It's just yeah. will will all of our peers make it? because they're being reckless in the last six to six to 12 months of a pandemic. I don't know. Right. And I mean, to be fair to the folks who are, you know, doing whatever um, in terms of meeting up with folks, the numbers are obviously very, very different for people in the 18 to 40 age range versus Mm -hmm. the 60 and over age range. Um, Not that it isn't still a significant risk and whatnot. Um, But I like to keep that in mind when I get worried about people and, you know, hope that everyone uh, stays healthy and whatnot. But I am, I'm very much in the same camp as you of, I think that once we know for sure it's okay to go back, once it feels like it's not still that kind of staggered reopening, um, that's when I think that shows are going to start selling out every weekend. Cause I don't think anyone's going to want a weekend home at hundred percent anymore. A hundred percent agree. Or if they did want that weekend at home, they've already moved from a city. Right. They're, you know, out in the suburbs. I mean, even it's been interesting to watch like real estate prices change here over the last Mm -hmm. year. Like I was, uh, I was living in one building and we wanted to move in. We were in a studio and we wanted to move into a one bedroom because it was insane to live in a studio during this. And, um, and we went and I proposed a price to the building and I was like, you know, we can pay this. It's less than what you're listing it as, but you know, people are moving out. Rates are going down everywhere else. Here's comparable prices. I know that, you know, you've laid off a couple of people or people have left to go elsewhere and they wouldn't take it. And then four months later, you know, we signed a lease somewhere else. And I look back and the prices there, I think it dropped $500 a month. Whoa. It was like substantial. Yeah. It was like by 25% of the rent. Um, And then they were, you know, I mean, and that was, it was just crazy to me. It wasn't like $500 off a, you know, $7,000 a month thing. It was off of something where that's a significant portion of it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was crazy to see how even in, you know, areas where people could kind of expect to figure out what was going to happen, stuff still uh, very much went past their expectations. What's odd about this, maybe not odd, but what's maybe interesting about this is you are not, you were in the majority of people that have moved during the pandemic. You happened to move within the same city, mm-hmm. but you did move. People, um, some people moved home, some people moved across the country, some people moved a few states away. The majority of people I've talked to from the February twenty ninth show this March have moved. That's interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people. You know, the thing that's great about being in a city is that you can go out and do stuff, right? You can go out and connect with people. Mm-hmm. There's so many things to do, so many people around, so many great restaurants. And then because of this pandemic, like all the benefits of that are kind of gone, you know? Um, And so it makes that premium on pricing um, a little bit harder to bear when you realize that having space might actually be more valuable than having um, access to those things. Well, did you consider leaving the district at least until the pandemic was over? Um, I did. We did a little bit. I mean, we went and stayed with uh, my folks for a little while. Um, but, you know, I didn't really want to be gone from here. I really love this place. And even if it's just walking down H Street and, you know, um, getting a bite to eat and, you know, supporting a local business or having some food that we like or uh, going to one of our favorite restaurants like uh, 
Calico or uh, Mother Rucker's subs or wherever. Um, it felt good to be here and just not feel completely lost. I feel like if we had moved somewhere, um, and I don't know what the experience is like for the people who have, but I would have felt like completely isolated. Like there's very little hope of meeting people during this. So to even have the idea that, you know, I could theoretically see someone for a beer outside from six feet uh, is, is comforting just to know that's possible. Yeah. Did you, when did you move? Um, we moved in August, I think. Let's say the election didn't turn out the way it turned out. Okay. Do, would you have regretted moving in August? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I lived here, you know, for at least half of uh, What's-His-Face's term. Um, and I don't think D.C. becomes Republican regardless of who is in office. Uh, I think that you're still going to have a bunch of, not to say that, I, I don't mean to use that term uh, in a derogatory way, um, but I think that you tend to have still pretty left-leaning and progressive folks here, no matter who's in um the house on Pennsylvania Avenue. So uh, I feel fine being here regardless of, of what the political landscape looks like. Well, so I do agree with you for all that. I was more concerned when it comes to dying because of oh, the pandemic. Gotcha. And I, the vaccine right. rollout has not been perfect, far from it, but I think it'd be a lot worse off considering. Yeah. I think you're, you're definitely right. Yeah, no, I think um, I wouldn't be as scared of dying. I mean, I would definitely be more frustrated because I'm sure it wouldn't be going quite as smoothly. Um, however, I still think it would get done eventually. I think there's enough people that are in positions of some power to make sure that the rollout happens. You know, like regardless of what happened last year, Dr. Fauci still was able to be a pretty important voice Um despite the fact that, you know, uh, DT was president. So I like how you won't say like, you're really sticking it to him, man. Thank you. I, you know, this is my big move. This is my political action is, um, I won't storm the Capitol, but I will not use the name of, um, you know, that guy. Let's close with some baseball. Uh, do you believe that the 2020 season was legit? Yeah. It's weird. Cause a lot of people like try and say that it's not, or that it counts less which to me is insane because it's like it was a much harder time to be a baseball player, right? And also mm -hmm. everyone was doing the same thing. Like, it's not like everyone had a different season. Um, you know, if it was that, you know. Well, no, that's not fair at all because a lot of people did have a different season. For example, the Cardinals decided to go to a casino and get a, bit, get a bunch of COVID right. and then they missed a bunch of games and the same thing happened with the Marlins and maybe that actually helped them because they had a weird break and they got to reset. And then the right. Marlins end up doing well in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's fair. But I overall, it's still the same game, you know? Um, and I think it's still a 60-game span. I mean, yes, I think that expanding the playoffs was silly um, just because it's like half the league shouldn't make the playoffs. It ruins the whole point of having a season. Oh, no. Hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Did you, do you follow hockey at all? Um, not particularly, but I okay. know that they have more expanded playoffs. They have an expanded playoffs and they did it again with the bubble and same with the NBA. And those games were so exciting and right. it was totally worth it to me. And I think the, I think both of them and the NFL and the NFL did it this year too. I, having those extra games made it more exciting and it really took away nothing. I'm only bitter because the teams I like lost in the first round, but <laughs> I still believe in the format. 
But how how long is the was the NBA season? And how long was the NHL season? They were way closer to full seasons. Okay, but their full season's about 80 games, right? Their seasons are 82 games. And I understand with baseball, it's 162 games. But when it's a 60-game season, the expanded playoffs are like the only thing that's like relatively, to me, fair. Right. In the, and I think that given the case of a 60-game season, it made sense during that to do for some extent. Um, and I get why they did it. And it probably increased TV ratings and kept more people in the game. And so, I mean, I think it's legit. I think it was, you know, everybody played. Um you know, I, I agree with you about the Cardinals and Marlins, and I get that. But at the end of the day, um, I think it was a fair season. Um, you know, it wasn't as bad as when the Astros were cheating. In Which, yeah, exactly. It leads me to the Astros. Two, two observations about that. Number one, I agree that it was fair, but I only think it was fair because literally the best team won. <laughs> so if it had been a different result, it wouldn't be If fair. it was any other team but the Dodgers, I'd be like, ah, this isn't right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, and I'm not a Dodgers fan. I like a lot of Dodgers fans. I don't hate the Dodgers, but like they were legitimately the best team. It's the exact same way. Like, yeah, when the Lakers won, yeah, they were the best team. It like that NBA championship in 2020 to me was the most difficult championship. Right. And the beauty of that bubble championship versus the MLB one is the field, the dimensions are relatively the same because Uh you're. Like, I understand every park is different, blah, blah, blah. But you're taking away home field advantage for both teams, so therefore it's relatively equal. The bubble's different because you don't have people sitting courtside, and the court is literally expanded because of that. So players are able to use more of the the surface of the court, if that makes sense. Right. Making the game a little bit more difficult and interesting. So it's like like an NBA championship on steroids in the best possible way. Yeah. Anyways, back to baseball. (laughs) The Astros... If, if that proved anything to me is that there's never an incentive not to cheat. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But it's also like nobody likes them across the country anymore. Who gives and a I, shit? I would think, I don't know. Like for me, I like being liked, you know? <laughs> okay. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, the fan base still will love them forever and not believe right. it. Number one. Number two, the way jerseys are, it's a split. So it doesn't matter who's selling jerseys as long as we're selling jerseys. So if you have a permanent villain essentially touring the nation, people are going to come out to boo that villain. That's good for all of baseball when it comes to the money. Right. I think in terms of an incentive for the league as a whole to have a new bad guy, especially one that's not just the Yankees or the Dodgers, which makes it just the big market thing, to have it be the Astros who had you know, previously been this rebuilding team. Um, and I'm looking it- at a book sh- on my shelf right now, Astro Ball, about how the 2017 Astros are like changed baseball. I, I read that book and I like, I tweeted at the author of it and was like, this is an incredible book. What a great read. Um, because I loved some of the players on that team originally. Like I thought Jose Altuve was the coolest person to ever play baseball. I thought he was just like this incredible talent. And I get that he's the coolest person talented. to ever play baseball is Babe Ruth. Don't, lie to yourself i think babe is the most talented i don't know about coolest <laughs> he's not even the, he's not even the most talented the most talented players who are playing now fuck that that's boring that's a very adam Adovino take on the issue uh- <laughs> i want who's the guy you want to party with the most wade boggs and babe ruth and that's it that's you know that's interesting i would rather hang out with yogi personally um i hate ricky yankee henderson. culture ricky henderson would only talk about ricky henderson that being Tony said Glenn? Clint, Tony Gwynn is, have you seen, is Tony Gwynn still with us? No. 
Yeah. So you want to hang out with that? Also, did you see the last few years of videos of Tony Gwynn? No, I didn't. It was sad. Not because he was like, he, he literally gained like 150 pounds. Well, you know, I've pretty much done that during this thing. So I would love that just to have someone to relate but, to. <laughs> so my favorite player growing up was Kirby Puckett. Okay. And I had as many Kirby Puckett cars as he, I could. I went to the Triton uh, Community College baseball camp because he did, and my mom went back to school there. Like, I love Kirby Puckett. He's from the west side of Chicago. Um, Kirby Puckett ended up becoming a pirate rapist. He lost an eye, and then he was uh, prosecuted multiple times. No, or I shouldn't say prosecuted. He's arrested a few times for sexual assault. Yikes. He's a pirate rapist. So I don't want to hang out with him. And I'm bringing this up because the more I learn about these folks, the less I think, oh, they're cool, they're cool, they're cool. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I just want all the people that I know are legitimately across the board who we think they are. Babe Ruth and Wade Box. <laughs> the most authentic. And you know what? That's fair. There was no real good political spin on either of them. We kind of know the full story. Yeah. And I also like the Babe Ruth thing because like, he's a, I love dudes in pain. <laughs> <laughs> And you can see it in his face at all times. Yeah, like he's not eating those hot dogs out of joy. (laughs) Wade's not drinking those beers because he's happy. Right. He didn't steal that horse because he thought that it was going to help him, you know, go off into the sunset. And those are good guys to party with. And they're going to get they're never going to get arrested because it's still America. And those are two white men that every white man loves. Yeah, that's fair point. You know, not I mean, ideally, we wouldn't have that be the situation. But um but it probably is the reality. Uh, okay, so therefore, let's go to 2021, which we are in now. Who are you rooting for? What do you think? Who do you think is going to win? Uh, and what's the World Series? Great. Um, I my order every year is Yankees, Rockies, Nationals, Brewers in terms of my rooting um, crew. But obviously, the Rockies are barely a baseball team anymore, so uh, I don't think that they will do very well. I think the Yankees. I, hold on, hold on. Don't say anymore. They were in the playoffs a few years ago. Right. I, I mean, after in terms of the way the front office there operates and the lack of respect they have for their fan base and for putting a good product on the field, I don't think they'll do anything good this year. God. I mean, you know, I'm a huge lifetime. I used to go to like 20 Rockies games a year when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would spend my whole summer at Coors Field and uh, I love that team. But so why are Rockies only number two? Um, I, I was born in New York, so I was a huge Yankees fan moved to Colorado when I was like eight um, and then, you know, started rooting for the Rockies because mm. I was going to the games all the time. But the Yankee thing was kind of already in my blood. So um, plus that way I had something to do every October. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Yankees are pretty well set up, although I think people are way underplaying the injury concerns about the fact that, you know, whatever, three of the starters, four of the starters on the team have pitched a total of one inning in the last um, year. Uh I think that if at least two of Severino, um, Jamison Tyone, and uh, Corey Kluber stay healthy, I think they'll have a shot at, um, you know, at least get into the World Series. The Dodgers are obviously everybody's big pick, but I would rather watch the Padres win than the Dodgers because they right now kind of represent this thing that is going against the grain of this, like, money over winning philosophy they've pretty much gone all out and been like what we care about is just winning we want to win we want to have a fan base we want baseball to be exciting and so uh i would be absolutely stoked to see them beat anybody besides the yankees in the world series (laughs) so your pick for the world series is dodgers yankees or padres yankees 
I'm going to pick Padres Yankees because I would rather see that. Um, and you know what? I think that's probably what will end up happening just because whenever the unanimous pick is somebody, I think generally outside of last year, it usually doesn't wind up being that team. Um, but in terms of winning the World Series, right? If everyone at the beginning of the year is like, this is the team, it has to be this team, yeah. very rarely does that actually come to fruition. Um, I think the Dodgers have a much stronger team than the Padres, honestly, overall. And I think their pitching staff's better despite the trades um, from San Diego. But I think it would be more fun to see San Diego go. And so I'll, I'll pick them just uh, out of hope. Yeah, that's fair. Good yeah. luck. Thanks. <laughs> um, what's your pick? Um, I'm really only following the Cubs and Sox, and both seem are primed to repeat exactly what happened last year, which is really good, solid regular season with stretches of like two to three weeks of just like pure winning. Pure winning, Jesus. <laughs> like relatively easy winning and most likely both flaming out in the first round of the playoffs. And the but both teams have made really solid moves. I actually understand getting rid of Lester for the Cubs, especially with what happened yesterday with Lester going down for the Nats. Right. Um I Arietta for better or worse. This is Arietta was my like you told yourself a million times, don't ever buy a jersey of a living player, yet you did it anyways, and like he's a fucking idiot. So um <laughs> So I'm glad Arietta's in a weird way back with the Cubs because he's there, there was we got rid of him in a dumb way. So I'm glad he's back. And getting rid of Schwarber was actually a kind of a good thing. And I think he'll do well in the Nats. Anyways, I think the Cubs are primed to either get the wild card or win the division. I think the Sox have just made themselves slightly better uh, when it comes to on-field product, but slightly worse because I think Tony Russo is a uh, drunk in the, in a worse possible way. And right. his most recent DUI proves that. And why do you get one of the most boring, white, problematic coaches to coach the most exciting, diverse squad in all of baseball? I'll never understand. Well, I completely understand. It's because Jerry Reinsdorf said it was a mistake to get him, let him go in the 80s. So that's why it happened. But <laughs> I do see them. I wouldn't be shocked if it's a Yankees, White Sox, ALCS with the Yankees yeah. advancing. That would be fun. I mean, I think the one thing that is fun from a narrative standpoint about the Larusa thing is if Larusa grows as a person because of being on the White Sox. I don't Sox, give a shit. He's almost dead. I want the young people uh, to be able I, to succeed. I mean, only from a sports writer angle. Fuck That's the a, sports writers. <laughs> Mark Burley should be in the Hall of Fame, you fucking assholes. He threw a perfect game, multiple no-hitters, and has a World Series ring. Fuck off. He also has a 390 career ERA. <laughs> And he also, who gives a shit? He was the fastest pitcher in the game. You want to talk about speeding up the game? Put Mark Burley on the mound every goddamn inning. That's a great, I love that as like the number one reason to put someone in the Hall of Fame. He took such little time between pitches. Yeah, uh, the <laughs> end. He eats innings. Uh, I have not heard a big, uh, anyone be a big Mark Burley stand before. That's very uh, fun. Anyone that has... Multiple no hitters that pitch that fast and has a World Series ring should be in the Hall of Fame. There's no one else that's out of the Hall of Fame that was able to do that. Eh, I don't know. I just think that with the Hall of Fame has to be the people that really were exciting to watch. He like, pitched the perfect the game. He pitched yeah. the quickest perfect game. Right, but that's one game, you know? Yeah, you do that once. I I'm not saying I have to, but I'm saying that, you know, like 
Armando Galarraga basically pitched a no-hitter once. A.J. Burnett pitched a no-hitter. There's a lot of folks who have uh, accomplished that. I said perfect that. game. I know. I'm, I couldn't think of a good He also game pitched a no-hitter. <laughs> he pitched multiple. He pitched a no-hitter and a perfect game. Perfect game's already a no-hitter. And he's got a World Series ring. Yeah, but who? you know who else? Like, Louis Soho has three World Series rings. You know what I mean? Like it's... So fucking put him in. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so Nothing we should just is have sacred. A, we, should, we should have a Hall of World Series rings. Anyone who's ever played in the playoffs <laughs> should be in there. If you've played baseball in October... You get a spot in the whole <laughs> thing. I hate uh, the Hall of Fame also just because, like, yeah, Tybe Cobb is a piece of shit, and the whole thing is formed on bullshit when you don't allow the superior athletes to play. Satchel Page doesn't pitch until he's, like, what, 42 in the in the majors? Like, fuck this thing. This whole thing is bullshit. Yeah, it's a it's a very weird concept, and the way people talk about the Hall of Fame, I don't like. Um, I yeah, really you're just defending think, it. Well, no, I'm not defending it. I just think that... I think that when you, it should be a hall of fame. It should be the people who made baseball exciting. And I think that's really what the qualifications should be. I think and to me, the guy that's bat. most likely going to a batting cage to pitch is the most exciting pitcher. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. I just think of it as like the people who were the faces of the game and really got lots of people into it. So for me, like, I think it's crazy that Sosa's not in the hall of fame and McGuire um and clemens and bonds and you know so what you're saying is kurt schilling has a lot of good political ideas well that i yeah obviously i mean he's kind of one of the most informed people right now did you notice that he got the biggest share of votes this year yeah he did i still he lost he he lost from a lot of people um but i don't i i also don't think he's as good a pitcher as i don't know maybe i have a higher standard for pitchers like i don't think andy pettit should be in i didn't really think musina should be in and i love those two so um, the thing about the shilling thing is you're kind of wrong if you say what you believe in, <laughs> because for better or worse, I don't like shilling. I don't think he belongs. But in terms of like the the um, the myths of the game, that bloody sock is more important than most any actual stat. Right. But you forgot my one main, you know, thing that kind of defines all of this, which is that anyone who helped the Red Sox or any <laughs> other team beat the Yankees should not be allowed in. <laughs> and I think that's really a key element. You're forgetting the fact that he beat my Yankees in 2001 when I had just moved to a new city and needed a win. And then he went and did the stupid stuff with the Red Sox. And I also think it's interesting that he played in the three most racist cities in America. He went from Boston and Philly and Phoenix, um, which is just a really, I mean, I guess, it, you know, he fit into the culture in all three places. But uh, yeah, I guess I have a lot of a very strong Yankee and, yeah, really just Yankee bias. Against, so I think what uh, we really need to do is let's stop talking about the Hall of Fame or stats. Let's just do racist power rankings of cities. <laughs> well, you got Boston at number one. They've got um, a pretty good history there. Holy shit. What if Cleveland is the least racist of all the teams, but they just have the most racist logo? I honestly think that could be the case. Now I'm looking at the map. What about Seattle? What's Seattle? Mariners? Yeah, no, no, yeah. no, no. Not the logo. <laughs> I, well, I figure you have to you have to rank both. I think you got to bring both things. Is Atlanta the least racist city with the most racist logo? It could be, although there's still racism in Atlanta. There's racism, I mean, there's everywhere. racism everywhere. Come but on, I mean there are there's still um, there still is a lot of you know uh, whatever. Uh, I I think that Atlanta probably is more racist than Seattle, but then again, it's also more integrated. Exactly. Oh, so I think, okay. So is a, is Los Angeles the least racist or the most? You see what I mean? Right. 
I don't know. I got to travel is tough. more. You know, I got to travel more and then just kind of walk around and see who's a jerk. Uh, <laughs> I think well, that if we're doing be... jerk power rankings, you're the most jerk city. What, D.C.? Oh, yeah. No, New York. Oh, well, that first off, I, D.C. is more jerks than New York. Um, and then second off, uh, New York is a close second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that New York's jerks are very, like, reasonable like fuck you, know. you you're wrong you're so but, wrong I, but no because i think it's there's always a reason why you're mean in new york and the reason is you live in new york and i think that's helpful like your day no one's having a good day in new york no one gets off the subway and is like oh what a lovely ride to work you know and i just yeah, saw a wrong. man poop. like you're wrong you're so people move to a place that they know they're going to be a jerk brent have you ever lived in new york no okay i've lived there it is. Uh, it can be real miserable to live. But what's nice about it is when you run into someone or you you know, walk by someone and you say something mean, like, for instance, I'm walking here. Um, you say something kind of angry and mean like that. You never see that person again. So then you can walk on with your day. And the thing about New York that's great is people get their anger out in these little interactions and it doesn't mean anything. So you do that instead of holding on to your anger and taking it home and, you know, having a bad relationship with your family. I think uh, that you just proved my point because um, lifelong New Yorker and most recent president has just, I mean, you proved my point. How so? He's a guy that didn't get his, he got his anger out in little bursts and then inspired a bunch of people to storm the Capitol and hang the vice president. The lifelong New Yorker who's got a wonderful relationship with everyone in his family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I get, I mean, I don't really consider him a New Yorker, but maybe that's me. <laughs> I, I don't really consider anything south of like or anything north of like. Um, so Queens isn't part of New York. <laughs> no, well he he's been mostly in Manhattan. He, yeah, he grew up in Queens at the beginning, but let's be honest, he's been in the Manhattan for years, the vast majority of his life. For the formative years, those don't matter. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be an aberration here, Brandon. I understand <laughs> you're trying to trap me, you know, and I understand you're trying to get me into a place where I sound like an idiot. From my belief that New Yorkers are good people. And uh, yeah, sure. I don't make a lot of sense when I argue. But um, I'm, I stand by. I stand by my, my <laughs> belief that New York is less jerky than D.C. Because D.C. people aren't as outright mean. But they are. I don't think anyone in New York thinks they're better than anyone else. In D.C., everyone <laughs> thinks they're better than anyone else. And they would explain it to you. Both could be true, but the people that come from D.C. or come from all over the country thinking they're better than you. Right. So you have, like, the most pompous people all come here. Exactly, but they don't consider themselves Washington, D.C. residents. Uh, I don't know. I moved here. I consider myself a resident. Um, you don't think people consider no themselves power. residents? Actually, Brandon, I don't know if you know, but my name is associated with someone <laughs> who stormed the Capitol. Um, so I have a pretty big power in a lot of communities right now. Um, all I have really? to do is is say my name and they'll come a running. You, me, them, everybody is made by me, Brandon Weatherby. Our theme music is by Daniel Knox. Our art is by Jillian Ron. You can hear all 13 years of shows at you, me, them, everybody.com. If you're listening to this in Spotify or on iTunes, the last year of episodes are available uh, with some sprinklings of the other ones. If you want the rest of the catalog, which features over 700 episodes, you, me, them, everybody, 
www.patreon.com. Our Patreon page is on our About page. It's all there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. At sign YMTE. Thanks for listening. I'll hug the places that you've been sleeping, friends and family. I'll 